Welcome to Slate Church Online. We're so glad that you're tuning in today and we pray that wherever you're watching this from, that this will bless you. If this message impacts you in any way, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory@slatechurch.com. Somebody say Merry Christmas. Seems fitting. Just a couple days out. Awesome. All right. Just feeling a little wobbly. Maybe a little. I'll go here. Go off center. Off center. Awesome. Awesome. How you doing? Good. You feeling okay? Everybody's feeling good. Any sick people here? Anybody sick? A couple sick people. Maybe everyone else stayed home. Everybody said amen. You know, it's, it is going around. We actually had like different singers, uh, uh, worship leaders, a couple of them, because in between services, two of them dropped. Like it was not like literally like, like puking. It was the flu. The flu, the stomach bug is around, okay? And uh, so hopefully you don't get it. Our family was hit with it uh, this week. We are better now. We are good now. But uh, yeah, little, our eight-month-old got it first. She set it off and it was just, if you've ever had an eight-month-old like vomit, it's disgusting. It's not good. It's sad. Three-year-old got it in the bed. Like it was, this is an exercise in empathy, okay? I'm, I'm letting you in so that you can grow in this area, okay? We're practicing right now is gross. Our two-year-old was spared, uh, thankfully, but he's got the cold, so he just is like wiping snot everywhere. And then I got hit with it. So how many of us know, like when mom goes down, the whole house is down and out. Like there's just no no coming back from that. But yesterday, I Lysoled everything. Everything is clean. We're good. We're ready for Christmas now when it comes to sickness. But hopefully you don't get it, okay? It's only like a 10-hour thing. It's not a it's not a bad one, but you don't want it. You still wash your hands, um, you know, Extra. Yes, I do wash my hands. That's not why we got it. But just a little, just a little extra. Stay healthy. Does that sound okay? It's good. Good public service announcement. Stay healthy. Let's jump in this morning. We're going to be going into Luke chapter 1. Uh, and, you know, we're going to stick right in the Christmas story, really. We're going to stay right around this time. And I think it's important that we do that, that we take this time of year to actually look at the Christmas story. Look at what God has given to us. So often we can get um, so many things going on around this time of year. You know, we have this whole setup of what Christmas looks like. And all those things are good. And they're redeemed through Christ. We can celebrate everything about Christmas and all of these pieces. But sometimes that can feel so overwhelming. And this story of Christmas that we read in Scripture, this true meaning, can sometimes get lost in the midst of all of it. So this morning we're going to continue to look into this story and see the gift that God has given us and what we can learn from that from people who went through it at that time. So Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5, this is a little bit before Jesus was born. It says this, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. 
And so what happens next is basically uh, Zechariah is serving at the temple and, and lots are cast and he is chosen to go inside and burn incense for the Lord. And this is something that didn't happen very often for a priest. They, they're not always doing this. It's not just a common regular thing. Uh, but at this time, he was chosen to go in. And it's significant that he went in and he was doing this then because as he was burning this incense, all of a sudden an angel appears to him. All of a sudden an angel is there. He's just going about his business. He's just in his workplace doing his thing. And all of a sudden, boom, angel. And I, I'm sure you can't quite imagine this happening in your own workplace. You just go to work on Monday. You just head in. You take a bathroom break. You head over. You're washing your hands at the sink. Boom, angel. It would be very freaky. It would be a little bit uh, jarring to have this experience that Zachariah was having. And I'm going to paraphrase this a little bit, but basically what happens next is the angel tells Zachariah, guess what? You are going to be a dad. You are going to have a baby. And now you should know something about Zachariah, okay? He wasn't, he wasn't like newly married, ready to have kids, excited about that. Zachariah was very old, okay? He was like well along in years. And his wife Elizabeth was also very old. But something that we need to know, she was also barren. She couldn't have kids. They had been trying for many years. They thought it was going to happen, but it wasn't happening. So all of a sudden, getting this announcement, it would have surprised him a little bit. And we see that in the text. Basically, Zechariah questions the angel. He says, prove it. And the angel doesn't like this so much, this kind of response to what had been said. And so Zechariah is silenced. He's unable to speak. And he goes home, and Elizabeth becomes pregnant just as the angel said that she would. And in verse 25, she says this, the Lord has done this for me. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. And if we go over to verse 26, it continues, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that we get to be here. I thank you that we get to dig into your word and this story of Christmas. And I pray that you would speak through me this morning, God. And I pray that we would just be so open to what you have to say to us in this place. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, Christmas is just a couple of days away. Are you feeling ready? Are you ready for Christmas? Okay, there is like zero Christmas cheer in this place. Are you feeling ready for Christmas? Are you excited in any capacity? Okay. All right. All right. Chris, Christmas is a good time of year. It's a fun time of year. It's really a time of year that brings a lot of traditions with it sometimes. Anyone have some Christmas traditions that they enjoy celebrating? A few tradition people. Maybe you're the type of person that, you know, sets up your tree just so and has a certain way of doing it. Maybe you're a Christmas tradition, but maybe there's an elf that visits your house every single day of December. And, I mean, that just seems like a lot of commitment. So I, I'm not sure why you would do that. Um, Maybe you like Advent. I know Victoria does Advent calendar, or not calendar, that's like the chocolate thing, candles. Uh, my kids do the Advent calendar. They're like, there's chocolate up there, and I need to eat it every day. So we do the Advent calendars, and it's, it's great, and it's fun. But maybe you have lots of different traditions. Maybe your tradition is like going out and doing carol singing or going and seeing the lights in Waterloo Park. Or, or maybe you uh, get together with lots of family, and you have this massive argument every single year, and that's like every year we have that tradition. It's a lot of fun. 
But how many, if you're married in this place, know that when you get married, you actually adopt a whole other side of traditions. All of a sudden, you're bringing in all of these traditions from your spouse. And you're like, where did these come from? These seem very strange. And they're like, yours seem very strange. I don't know why you do that. Uh, and, and there's this whole kind of coming together and compromise of traditions. Any married people in the house know what I'm talking about. A few people know. Yes. Yes, exactly. So... I find that for Brandon's family, they actually don't have that many traditions. My family has more traditions than Brandon's family would. And, and so they're very flexible with it. They bring lots of people in. It's great. That's another side to it. Um, it's, it's good. But they do have one tradition, okay? There's one particular tradition that they do every single year. But it's a tradition that I was not invited to partake in, all right? Like, I, 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 I've been in the family for a long time, but I was just like... It wasn't for me. It's not my truth. Brandon's not even allowed to participate in this tradition, okay? This is a tradition only between two people in his family, and it is his sister, Courtney, and his dad, Ted. Every single year, they do the exact same thing. And basically, what they do is they go to the store, they purchase a cheap gingerbread house-making kit, and they come home, and the tradition is that they build this gingerbread house together. But let me tell you, this tradition takes a total of five minutes, okay? It's a very fast-paced tradition. Five minutes flat, that's it. And this year, they were kind enough to invite uh, uh, my three-year-old daughter, Kensington, into the tradition. So she was allowed to participate. They had a frozen gingerbread house. Like, they market that thing everywhere, okay? Frozen is everywhere gingerbread has it. They had the castle, whatever else, they bought that one, and, and she was involved. And this five minutes was absolute chaos, and it is every year. This is part of the tradition. It is just like putting the, the cheap icing all over it, sticking it together, holding it for five seconds, hoping that it sticks, throwing candies on it everywhere, just however it goes, and just, just shoving this thing together, just putting this thing together as fast as they could. And I was watching on, and I noticed that Kenzie was like, I am going to take full advantage of this situation and you guys can build the house that's fine I'm gonna spend this five minutes just consuming as much sugar as I possibly can while mom is not participating in this she's just like pouring icing into her mouth she's got like gummy bears going in like she is going crazy with this sugar and it ends the exact same way every single year. The gingerbread house collapses in on itself. It's just this big pile of stale gingerbread and gross icing and like cheap hard candies that I don't even think are edible. Do you know those little balls that like you you break a tooth on? Like it's not good. And it's just this disgusting pile and they're like, we're done. It looks so, take a picture. And I'm like, this is a weird tradition that you have every year. Kenzie just spent the next day like eating stale gingerbread sneaking it from the kitchen. I'm like, this is gross. This is disgusting. Well, then fast forward to about a week after that took place. And I walked into my parents' house one morning. The, the kids had been there for a sleepover the night before, so I was coming to pick them up. And on the counter of their house stood this perfectly executed gingerbread house. Like this was magazine worthy, this gingerbread. It was nicely set up. The, the 
the frosting was just so. It was nicely swirled. The candies were placed so perfectly. I'm like, how did this happen? I know for a fact that they put this together with two toddlers the night before. How in the world is it possible that this turned out like this when the other one turned out the way that it turned out, okay? I was like, this is not making sense to me. So finally, my dad's here this morning. I finally got it out of him. Like, what did you do? How did you do this? How did you have success with this? He's like, well... I went to the store and I saw the kits of, gin, of gingerbread houses, and and he said, and then I saw this other shelf that had pre-built gingerbread houses that I just needed to add a little bit of icing to and just some candies on top. And so for a couple dollars more, I mean, I just went for the pre-built gingerbread house, and I was like, this is very smart. This is very it does it deserves a round of applause. It really, it really does. It really does. But, you know, I was thinking about these traditions and these gingerbread houses and reflecting on this Christmas season on all of these things. And, and I started to think that this kind of parallels how some of us are experiencing Christmas right now. For some of us, it's, it's both Christmas. I mean, both of them were gingerbread houses. They both had stale gingerbread. They both had icing. They both had uh, some candies involved. They both had all of those elements, but the outcome was very different. And for some of us, we're experiencing Christmas, and, and we actually have a bit of a mess on our hands. Everything's just kind of imploding together. Maybe there's some sweetness to it. Maybe our kids are appreciating the effort. Maybe all of those things, but things just feel a little bit messy. It's not what we were expecting when we headed into Christmas, um, and we're starting to think about it back in October or November. And for others of us, everything's to be, everything seems to be pretty set up, and, but it, it, it maybe seems like it, it was put together a little bit outside of our control, and we're just feeling a little bit thrown off by this whole Christmas season. You know, sometimes there are multiple things happening within something. We can have something that's kind of messy, kind of perfect, kind of all of, all of the above. And I think this can happen within Christmas as well. That within the Christmas season, within the traditions, within the lights, within the uh, gifts, within all of the things that we do for Christmas, whatever that looks like for you, we have to recognize and acknowledge that we actually still bring life with us into Christmas. That it doesn't stop. That the things that we're dealing with, the things that are happening in our lives, the very real seasons that we're going through are continuing to happen throughout this Christmas season. It doesn't just take a sideline. We're still feeling it. We're still experiencing it. And you know, this morning I want to take a little bit of time and look into scripture and see the seasons that these people were going through and see what God is really calling us to in this season. So if you're taking notes, you can entitle this message, Tis the Season. Tis the season, tis the season part two, really, because Brandon talked about seasons last week, tis the season part one. He's in Elmira speaking that message today. I'm going to talk about tis the season part two. So why don't you turn to your neighbor, say tis the season. Now you turn to the person on the other side of you, say to be jolly. And, and all together now. Fa la 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 la. Thank you. <laughs> the 9 a.m. was much better, okay? <laughs> like way better at the Falalas. It's okay. You still have a few days before Christmas. You'll be, you'll be okay. I'm sure you'll get it. You'll get it together. Tis the season. Tis the season. You know, in the passage we just read, we see this couple. We see Zachariah and we see Elizabeth. 
and they are esteemed in society. These are people who have a good family line. And the author of this book, Luke, tells us about this because he wants us to understand as a reader that Elizabeth and Zachariah really had everything going for them. They had this good family line. They had things together. They would have had uh, expectations from society. And they, it would have seemed like they were set up for success in life. It would have seemed like everything was coming together perfectly because of the family lineage that they were a part of. But they had found themselves in a season. And they were in that season for a very long time. And this first season I want to talk about is a season of waiting. A season of waiting. You know, Elizabeth had waited her whole life to have kids. We know a few things about her. We know that she was old. We know that she was barren. We know that she was married to Zechariah and the daughter of a priest and this good family line that I talked about. But we also know that she was disgraced in her community. Even though she had everything going for her, she was disgraced in the community because she could not bear children. She could not continue on her lineage. And this was something that was expected of her. This was something that she would have felt the weight of. And this is something that she could not do. We see that she's strong. We see that she's faith-filled. But we also see that she has been in this season of waiting for a long time. You know, sometimes when we find ourselves in a season like this, and all of us have been in this to some capacity at some point in time in our lives, we can start to wait for so long that we start to doubt that God could even work in our situation. Maybe you've been waiting a long time for healing, whether that's months or years, and, and, and you just feel like you're getting nowhere with doctor's appointments, and the pain is there, the, the sickness is there, and you're going, what is going on? God, could you, would you, will you? even work in this situation because I just don't understand it. Maybe it's on behalf of someone else that you see in desperate need of healing and you're going, God, what is going on here? Maybe you've been waiting for reconciliation. You're going into this Christmas season feeling a little bit frustrated and a little bit annoyed because this reconciliation hasn't taken place yet. Maybe you've reached out to someone and they just don't want anything to do with you. The, your apologies are just falling flat and they just won't receive them. And you're going, God, how can I possibly reconcile this relationship? Maybe you've been waiting for an opportunity or waiting for new friendships and you've been in a season of loneliness. Maybe you're in this place and you've been waiting for a baby. Similar to Elizabeth, and month after month, it's just not happening and it's coming, you feel like you're coming up short and you're wondering, God, will this ever happen for me? Maybe you're here and you're waiting for relief. You know, it's in a season of waiting where sometimes we can become so tempted to actually just will our own way, to push our own thing forward. We feel that God has not answered us. Or at the very least, he's ignoring us. And therefore, we must need to take things into our own hands. Maybe you came in here today waiting on God to move in your life or in the life of someone around you. And you've just begun to wonder, God, where are you? Where are you in this situation? How is it possible that you haven't moved yet? How is it possible? Do you not care about me? God, where are you in this? And if we don't remain focused on God, if we don't keep our eyes fixed on him, our hope in him, we will start to focus on the wrong things. In a season of waiting, we are going to start to focus on things that are not God if we are not careful. And the first thing that we can do in a season like this is we can try to forge our own way. You know, Elizabeth and Zechariah were not the only couple in scripture, who were dealing with barrenness, who were dealing with a season of waiting. Way back at the beginning of scripture, we see another couple, Abram and Sarai. And they were in a similar situation. 
God had come to Abram, revealed himself, said, I am going to make your descendants countless. I am going to create a nation through you. It's going to be incredible. Basically gave him this massive promise. And Abram's like, this is great. Thank you, God. This is wonderful. But then year after year after year, his wife Sarai still was not becoming pregnant. And they were becoming frustrated. How many of us know that when God gives us a promise, and then year after year after year, we are still in this season of waiting, month after month, week after week, we are in this season of waiting, we can grow frustrated. And we can start to try to forge our own way. God, obviously you don't know what you're doing here. You told me this. You said this. This seemed like the right way forward. And now nothing is coming from this. So God, I, it must be that I need to take it up. That I need to figure this out on my own. Because you obviously aren't going to do it for me. And we see this with Abram and Sarai in Genesis 16. It says, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. Well, here's another option. Here's something we could move forward with. Here's a way that we could make this happen. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. And this led to Abram having Ishmael and, and a lineage and a line that, that God had never intended him to have. And there were consequences of that that we can still see the ripples of today. It was working outside of God's original plan. And even though God had spoken directly, even though God had made a promise, they still tried to forge their own way because they didn't see any sign of that coming to pass. We pick it up. We decide if God's not going to do it, then we will need to. It's kind of like we become toddlers trying to dress ourselves. This is something I deal with every single day. You know, when toddlers try to dress themselves, they don't know what's clean. They don't know what fits. They don't know what colors go together. They don't know what's theirs or what's their siblings. They don't know any of these things, but they want to put it on, and they want to dress themselves, and they want to walk around with it on. And this is kind of what it is like when we try to forge our own way with God. I think having children is opening my eyes more and more to what it really means to be children of God. Okay, I'm like, yes, I am a child, God. I am a child all the time because we can become like toddlers. We're saying, okay, God, you obviously don't know what you're doing. You're obviously not doing it in the, the right timing. So I'm just going to put this on, and I'm going to fit this on. And we walk around looking ridiculous, feeling ridiculous, not having the right things on for the right season of life. But we've just been trying to forge our own way instead of submitting to God. Another thing we do is we can give up hope. You see, a season of waiting actually has the potential to drive a wedge between us and God. We can start to feel frustrated. We can start to feel like God has abandoned us. Psalm 55, 22, the psalmist writes, Cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. But it's so easy when it feels like God isn't showing up. We've been waiting for years to just give up the hope that it could have ever happened. It's hard to cast it onto God. You know, some of us actually distance ourselves from this hope to avoid disappointment. You know, as human beings, we actually avoid pain. We try to avoid that pain. And so subconsciously, what we can do is start to let go of the hope that it could ever change, to actually distance ourselves from feeling the pain of disappointment just in case God will never come through. So we get to start to step away from the promises that God actually gave us because we are so afraid of the pain and discomfort of disappointment. We have to be careful and aware not to give 
up hope in a season of waiting. And the third thing we can do is we can react to God working when di with disbelief. You know, in the waiting, it's, it's vital that we keep our eyes fixed on God. Hebrews 12, 2, it says, keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way, cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. When you find yourselves flagging in your faith, maybe you're in that place this morning. Go over that story again, the story of Jesus, item by item, that long litany of hostility he plowed through. Listen, you might feel like things are not good this morning. Maybe you are being faced with hostility. Well, you are not alone. Jesus has a long list of hostility that he plowed through. And it says that will shoot adrenaline into your souls. Go over this. Remind yourself of this. It's important that we encompass this discipline of trusting God. Or we will not be ready for him to move when he chooses to do so. We will react with disbelief. We see this in Zechariah. The angel tells Zechariah that he will have a son. That this son will be set apart from God, for, or for God, by God, to prepare the way for the Messiah. This would be John the Baptist. And because of Zechariah's unbelief, he is silenced until John is born. That is a long time to not be able to speak. But you see, Zechariah had actually been praying for years that they would have a baby. This is something that he had been praying for over and over again. But when God answered and actually worked in his situa situation, he didn't know what to do with that. He basically reacted with, prove it. His heart was not in the right place. I wonder if we are in a season of waiting today, if we've just been praying the same rote prayer over and over again, but really not trusting that God could do anything with it. And then if he comes and when he comes and works in that situation, are you going to be ready to believe that it's actually God at work? Is your heart prepared? Is your heart in the right place? You know, if you're in a waiting season, you know the weight that that can carry. It's really easy to feel tired and discouraged and full of doubt and anger and impatience and jealousy. It seems like everybody else has the answers that they're looking for. Everybody else has it all figured out except for me. But God has not forgotten about you. Maybe that's what you need to hear in this Christmas season, that God has not forgotten about you. He's, his promises are lasting. They are dependable. They can hold the weight that you put on them. Hebrews 10, 23, it says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. We need to hold on to these promises even in a season of waiting. But maybe you find yourself in a different season this morning. Perhaps you are in a season of preparation. Mary was in a season of preparation. We know a few things about Mary as well. Unlike Elizabeth, Mary was young. She was fertile. She went on to have other children after Jesus. She was educated in, in Old Testament prophecy. We see this as in, a, in a song that she sings with Elizabeth later on in this text. And we know that she's a virgin. And she is engaged to be married to Joseph. And you see, jo Jewish marriages at this time had some steps to them. They had some things that take place. They're definitely different from the steps that, that take place right now in our 21st century uh, current society when it comes to engagements and marriages. Now it's, it's, it's a little bit different. Right now it's like you get engaged and it better be big 
and it better be caught on camera because otherwise it didn't happen. The ring is not enough proof. You need something to tell people about and show them. And then you, you start the planning process and there, there's lots of things that you need to do and lots of books you need to buy and lots of websites you need to, to read and lots of things that you need to be a part of. This whole planning process. But number one, you need to book a photographer so that you can get at least two different engagement sessions in before that wedding date uh, with two different seasons because if it didn't, if it's not wintry outside and also summer, then that's not enough, okay? That's, that's just not enough for the photos. It, you need different backgrounds for it. Um, I can make fun of this because Brandon and I did that. It just blows my mind that we, we did that, but it's fun. It's cute. And then you've got you've to book your venue and make sure that it is at least two hours outside of Waterloo Region because there is nothing, there is no nice venue here in Waterloo, so it's got to be at least two hours away. Get everything together, spend all the money, do all the, all the things, gather the family. Um, it's, it's crazy. I'm just kidding. It's lots of fun. It's lots of fun. We love weddings. We love celebrating around um, so many marriages that are happening. And we've been to a lot of weddings this season. Uh, and it's been really, really great. But it is crazy. Any, any amens? Can I hear an amen? Amen. A couple. A couple. But, you know, there were things that happened around Jewish marriages at this time as well. And you see, Mary and Joseph were not just engaged. They were actually betrothed. And this is a little bit different than an engagement. This is actually a covenant agreement. It was, it was binding, and it could not be undone unless something really significant happened. Something like finding out that your uh, fiancé was not a virgin. The bride price would have already been paid. Uh, which was a gift basically that would be given to the bride's family to say, like, thanks for raising a great girl. And that would have already been in place and already paid. And they were deep into this. This was not something just simple. This was not just getting down on one knee. This was a big deal. And the proposal would be accepted. And then the man would go away. And he would prepare the wedding chamber for his bride. And basically, the man could come to collect his bride at any time. So, so she would have a, a veil and a lamp ready to go, and, and she would be ready beside her bed. The groom would come. There would be a celebration. The couple would go into the wedding chamber. They would consummate the marriage. Um, and then there would be someone that they would tell about that that was waiting to hear, like, thumbs up, good to go, did the deed, and uh, then they would go and deliver that message to the wedding party. They'd start to celebrate. After seven days, the couple would come out, and they would, they would celebrate. They'd have a big wedding feast. There were some steps involved to this. There was some preparation that took place, and Mary was in the middle of preparing, and the news of being pregnant was the last thing that was on her mind. She was preparing for a wedding. She wasn't preparing for a baby. She would not have been expecting this. I mean, she was a virgin. This would not have been anywhere close to her mind. We need to recognize in this place, church, that even if we are in a season of preparing, of excitement, of seeing clearly what is ahead for us, we still need to submit to the plans of God first and foremost. See, after hearing of Mary becoming pregnant, Joseph is also preparing for something. But Joseph is preparing to break off the engagement. We see this in Matthew 1.19. It says, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. You see, this is no small thing. This is not an argument where, you know, one would throw the ring at the other person and it would be this big thing and then it would be heated and they would just kind of break it off. This was a huge deal. 
to break off an engagement like this meant disgrace had happened on his family. And there was a right there that they could have actually had Mary killed. Her life was at stake. So him preparing to divorce her quietly was actually him saying, I want to spare your life. You know, I wonder, church, when we are in the midst of preparation, are we holding onto our plans so tightly that there is no room for God to move? Because I love what happens next. An angel comes to Joseph. And in verse 20, it says this, but after he had considered this, the divorcing her quietly, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is, in, what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his, as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until the, she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. You know, I love the verse in here that says, he did what the Lord had commanded him. You know, how easy is it for us that when we are in a season of preparation, when we are a season of getting ready for something, to become so focused on that, that we actually miss out on what God is saying to us right in the middle of it. You know, with preparation comes expectations. Any, anyone ever have some expectations surrounding something? Maybe you have a lot of expectations surrounding Christmas. We have expectations around things. We have expectations on people. I know for myself, the first couple of years, uh, we were decorating for Christmas married. Uh, Brandon and I, I had different expectations of what the decorating process would look like. In my mind, I had the expectation that he would come home, like, dress in, like, a scarf, like, over his shoulder. He doesn't really wear scarves. Um, and... And like with a roasted turkey in hand, singing like fa la 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 la, and be like, we're ready, dear. Like, let's put up the tree, let's trim the tree, let's do all of the the fun things, and have this Christmas celebration together, and it will be wonderful. And this was what was in my head. And this is why maybe we shouldn't watch so many Hallmark movies. Okay, it's setting up some negative expectations. Not all of us can be like CEOs moving to a small town and finding love in like a week. It's 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 a little bit, it's a little bit crazy. But this was my expectation, and, and for the first couple of years, this led to big arguments, big fights. I'm like, where's your scarf? You forgot. You forgot your scarf. How many of us know that expectations can sometimes get us into trouble and sometimes give us some issues that we need to deal with? And there's a saying, and I think it's an important one. It says, expectations are premeditated resentments. You know, commonly when we have expectations surrounding something or more commonly someone, we expect that these things will be done and when they are not, we can tend to grow resentful. You know, when we're in a season of preparation, whether pre preparing for a new job, a growing family, a change in house, even just preparing for the Christmas season, we can begin to form expectations around ourselves and others. And, you know, expectations with proper communication and flexibility can bring good teamwork and all of these things. I'm not trying to, to say that. But we want to know what to expect oftentimes so that we aren't caught off guard. Most of the time, expectations are actually a crutch for control so that we aren't disappointed, so that we don't feel out of control, that we don't feel dumb, that we don't feel unprepared. It's actually maybe a source of pride when we have all of these expectations. We use it to order our lives, and when, then when something comes in and throws us off, we feel unstable 
and even disappointed or resentful. And it's not too far to think that if we feel so rigid in a season of preparation, that if God comes in and changes up those plans and actually brings something different, we can actually start to become resentful of God in the midst of it all. We so often pray for miracles and life change and that God would draw near, but are we actually open to these things happening? Or do you find yourself holding so tightly to the plans that you have in place? You know, we prepare and settle in order to protect ourselves, and yet God calls us to find our protection in Him. Everything else is fleeting. If we put our trust in our charm, in our ability, our appearance, our personality, it is all fleeting. It is fearing the Lord and trusting Him that ought to be praised, as Proverbs 31.30 talks about. See, we see Zechariah expecting that he won't have children. We see Elizabeth not expecting to become pregnant. It isn't on Joseph or Mary's radar as they prepare for a wedding. And yet when God moves, we have a choice in how we will respond. Do we doubt him and argue with him? Are we willing to ask questions from a humble heart? Do we accept what he is doing and lay down our expectations to pick up what he has for us? You know, this Christmas season, I, I would actually encourage you to to find yourself in this third season consistently strive to be in this season and that is the season of surrender you know God's timing is better than our timing even when it's hard to make sense of it both Elizabeth and Mary had to choose surrender in the midst of extreme confusion Mary chose to trust God in verse 38 it says I'm the Lord's servant Mary answered May your words to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Elizabeth chose to release what she knew to be true. You know, so often I hear people say, well, these are just the facts. This is why this has to be the way it is. These are the facts. This is just the truth. And Elizabeth had a lot of facts. She knew she was old. She knew she was barren. She knew she was past menopause, past when she could even conceive a child. Very likely she knew that Zachariah probably was having maybe some issues in the bedroom. I mean, he was very, very old. So even with that, like, how is this going to happen, God? How in the world is this actually going to happen? Verse 24, after his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion, the Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. She knew the source of her pregnancy. She knew that it it went beyond any facts, anything that she saw in front of her as to be the way it had to be. Maybe you're here and you're going, these are the facts. This is why God can't work. This is why God won't work. But I want to tell you that God can and will. Whether you find yourself in a season of waiting, preparation, or any other place, we are called to release control to God, to fully surrender. I love Billy Graham. He preached this in a message one time. He said, if you want change in your life, If you want forgiveness and peace and joy that you've never known before, God demands total surrender. He becomes the Lord and the ruler of your life. You're surrendering all the time. When I fly in an airplane and I sit down in the seat, I'm surrendering to that plane. Nothing I can do about it. I've been operated on several times and I didn't negotiate with the doctors. As they took the knives out and put the anesthetic in, I put my full trust in those doctors that they were going to do the right thing. God said, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future, Jeremiah 29, 11. That's what God says. He's not here to condemn you. 
He's here to bless you and love you and take you in his arms and say, I forgive you. I'll change your life. And when you die, you will go to heaven. That's what God is saying. If you will surrender totally and completely, but you can't hold anything back. We need to be working towards total surrender, not just because of what God can do for us, but because of who he is. When we start to release to God, we start to grasp his goodness, that his plans are good, that he has more for us. And this leads to joy that is indescribable, uncontainable. You know, Mary's plans were changed. Her expectations shifted. But because she was able to surrender to God, her joy is tangible. I love the message version of the song she sings with Elizabeth when they, she goes to visit her when Elizabeth is pregnant and she's found out that she is pregnant. She says this, I'm bursting with God news. I'm dancing the song of my Savior God. I wonder in this place if our plans were changed, if all of a sudden God worked in a way that we didn't expect, if all of a sudden things started to happen that we weren't preparing for, that we weren't waiting for, how would we respond to that? Would we respond the way that Mary is responding here? I'm bursting with God news. This is from God. This is good. She's pregnant. She was preparing for a wedding. This changes everything for her. This is a huge life event. And she is bursting with God news. What would our reaction be, church, if God changed our plans? Sometimes we get so mad. When God has shifted our plans, when something doesn't turn out the way we expected, when God's timing is not the timing that we expected, what would it look like to change our perspective, regardless of what society says about what is happening or what is not happening, what would it look like to trust God in it? She says, God took one look at me and look what happened. I'm the most fortunate woman on earth. That's an incredible statement to be making when she was not prepared for it to happen. It's an incredible statement. What would it look like, church? I'm the most fortunate person on earth. We would still look at this event as a society and say, she is anything but fortunate. This is outside of her plans. This is outside of what she was prepared for. This is outside of what she was waiting for. This is outside of the timing that she had because we are told, church, to hold on so tightly to our own plans and our own timing. We are told that God must not be good if we have to wait, that God must not be a good father if he's not answering directly. We are told these things, but I want to tell you that that is not the message of God. That is not what he is saying to us. He is saying to surrender to me, release it to me because I have plans that you can't even possibly imagine. I have things for your life and your family in timing that is so perfect with the greater plan. I have influence for you. I have things for you, but will you surrender to me? I am the most fortunate woman on earth. What God has done for me will never be forgotten. The God whose very name is holy, set apart from all others. His mercy flows in wave after wave on those who are in awe before him, those who surrender to him. He bared his arm and showed his strength, scattered the bluffing braggarts. He knocked tyrants off their high horses, pulled victims out of the mud. The starving poor sat down to a banquet. 
the callous rich were left out in the cold. He embraced his chosen child, Israel. He remembered and piled on the mercies, piled them high. It's exactly what he promised, beginning with Abraham. That promise of a child with Abraham many, many years ago with Sarai. And, and that waiting process, Israel had been waiting for this Savior, this Messiah. Since that point, that waiting season went on generations. It went on decades. And it was at this time that we see another season coming to pass. We see it being fulfilled. God's timing is good. It is perfect. We can trust it. She says, right up until now, she sees her place in this story. I wonder, what do you need to release to God today? Is it the promises that you have been waiting for, but fear that God will never see through? Is it the walls you've put up to protect yourself from disappointment? Is it the expectations you have on yourself or other people? Is it the dreams you're preparing for? Maybe today it's your whole life. You know, maybe you came into this place and you're in a season that, that looks different from the ones I described or, or maybe multiple seasons. We're complex people. Maybe it's a season of loneliness or a season of joy. Maybe a season of great loss or opportunity or unanswered questions or contentment or anything else. But the season of surrender is what we all need to look to. Because today the same message rings true that the prophet Isaiah wrote many, many years ago. He said this, for a child has been born for us, a son given to us, authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And this child is Jesus. He is the Savior of the world. He died for our sins so that we can have relationship with Him, so that we can have a hope and a peace and everlasting life. We don't have to carry it ourselves. Our response can always be to give it to Him. Tis the season for surrender. Thank you for watching. Again, if you were impacted by this message at all, we would love to hear from you. Send us an email to mystory@slatechurch.com. You can also visit us online at slaychurch.com and fill out one of our online connect cards there. We would love to see you in person at one of our Sunday services. And don't forget to stay connected with us on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.